Welcome to Eat Drink Social. My name is Michael Moeller, and throughout this podcast series, you'll be hearing from myself and Courtney Sandora. We're a team over at Go Social, a PR and social media marketing firm with presence in both Louisville and Denver. We'll be discussing social media trends and influencer best practices in the food and beverage landscape. If you have any questions or want to reach out, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or you can check us out on our website at www.goforthbesocial.com. Happy to be joined now by Nathan Olibach of, uh, well, he's he's the voice behind Steakum. Uh, he's joining us from Philadelphia. Nathan, thanks for coming on, and, and how you doing today? Yeah, thanks for having me, man. I'm doing great. So uh, you're you're the first brand voice that we've really had on the podcast before. Um, how does that make you feel? I mean, I'm completely flattered. There's a lot of great brands out there. So awesome. So just just for background purposes, for you know, any any of the heathens out there that don't know what Steakum is, can you just tell us? Yeah, sure. So Steakum is a legacy meat company. Uh, it started in 1975. It's passed ownership a few times, but it's maintained family-owned um, business status. And it's basically sliced steak sandwich meat. So they've come up with a few different product lines over the years, but it's mainly centered around steak and um angus and chicken style mostly for uh, making philly cheesesteaks right on so you know brand voice is is always an interesting topic for me and because you know you're you're basically assigning a, a human personality trait to a non-human product uh, and that's hard to do especially without just you know you using your own uh voice or personality aspects when you're on, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever, repping Steakum online. How much of your own personality kind of comes through? Just being completely honest, I would say about almost 100%. I mean, it's sort of an interesting situation with Steakum as a client. I mean, getting into the whole brand voice conversation, obviously, you know how it is with, you know, you have agencies and internal structures with companies when they develop a brand voice it's usually some somewhat of a process over weeks or months where you have multiple levels of people that are kind of throwing ideas into a pot and you develop you know what are our demographics who are we selling to you know what kind of voice is this is it more of a male is it more of a female like is it sassy is it sweet like you have all these sort of compounding factors that go into that process and truth be told you know we had had Steakum as a client um, for a couple of years prior to us running their social media. And we had worked through um, a brand voice process with them, but that had only gotten reeled out in essentially print and digital ads. So I mean, we hadn't really pushed it too hard on social media. We had done a few different video campaigns where we had to hire some talent and we tried some different directions, but we, it was more experiential or I should say experimental, like in that phase of it so we hadn't really settled into something and by the time i got active on the twitter um that was really like obviously i was working within some confines of what that voice was but that really um, recreated and remolded the idea of the voice you know over time as i got more active on it yeah and i mean i i so i'm, I'm a big twitter guy um i it's personally my favorite platform and i, and I constantly hear anymore that you know people just don't use twitter they're intimidated by twitter um, mm -hmm. and it's just not really a go-to platform for for too many brands but i find that that steakum is is you know i i guess well you would know more than me but i would say flourishing um and just a really great insight onto what 
a brand can be doing on Twitter. Is that is that a platform that you find yourself using the most too? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I mean, most people don't like obviously follow this type of um, this line of work in the first place. So a lot of people don't even know that it wasn't up until like a year ago that Twitter was even profitable for the first time. Like mm-hmm. they just they haven't had an ad model like Facebook or Instagram where you have, you know, tens of millions of companies pouring dollars into their advertising. You know, with Twitter, they've had a really difficult time structuring it in a way that gets companies to spend money because so much of the model is based on organic reach. So, like, as a company, you know, we had really focused primarily our resources onto Facebook and Instagram with some paid Twitter ads, but it, Twitter really is, to me, um, it's always been the place to grow community. You know, it's similar to Reddit, and it's formatting as far as like how, how you can choose your audience, you can choose the communities you want to be part of, and the algorithms exist. You know, you're still going up against certain algorithms, but it's nothing like Facebook or Instagram, where because there's just so many users on those platforms at this point, they've had to switch up their algorithms to the point where you know you're barely seeing anybody's feeds. Like for a lot of people, if you have like say a thousand friends on facebook on any given day you're only seeing maybe 20 of their feeds you know so it's really twitter is just great for a brand to to you know infiltrate whatever type of community you know a, they, a brand wants to reach or you know it, it's great for just being more day-to-day and moment-to-moment you know like anytime a, a news story breaks out like just this past week we had the whole presidential text thing that went viral Mm -hmm. instantly or the whole country received a text message saying this was like a test or this is not this is a drill whatever and immediately that got memed and a place like twitter is amazing for real-time documentation or something like that you know and like the, the following day you have articles being written up on brands who instantly jumped on that and made it a meme whereas with facebook you would have to take hours to get your post approved and put into the system and then it might not even get picked up in the algorithm for you know four or five hours so it's not as instant with a reach certainly and and one rule of thumb i've always heard about just how to use twitter is that you should imagine it like you know twitter's a cocktail party and and you're a guest Mm. if you were to take that metaphor you know assuming you agree with that metaphor who who is Stakeum at that party is he the is Stakeum the person kind of making the jokes or is he kind of like the guy in the corner making fun of everybody um you know what what person is Stakeum at the party <laughs> that's a great question um i think the role of Stakeum on twitter has definitely changed at the cocktail party over the course of the past year because I mean, as a brand, as a family-owned company, you know, it really is the type of situation where people see Stakeham and they, they remember it. It's an old brand, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's in 1975, so a lot of people have memory of it in advertising, and they see it as, like, a, a larger thing than it is, I think. You know, like, when you compare it to a, a company like Wendy's on Twitter, whereas Wendy's is an international company, you know, multi-billion dollar, and it's just all over the place and has a, a way, way bigger marketing reach. So, like, with us, there was definitely early on more indicators that we were, like, a fighting brand. You know, we were being the sort of loud, obnoxious voice trying to push our way into social conversations because we didn't have them. You know, like, when I first started working on the account, there wasn't an inbuilt audience. And there weren't people 
naturally just talking about Stake and as a product online. It wasn't it wasn't something that existed anywhere. So we had to really push ourselves into conversations and in that process obviously it looks different for different situations. You know, part part of that is using memes and humor. So it's just being funny. Part of it's being, you know, kind of trolly and just going after celebrities or other big brands and trying to assert ourselves as like a new voice on the platform. And another part of it's been, you know, like that sort of more communal relational voice where since the beginning of running the account and we've really made it a point to focus on the community on Twitter where that really like when we first started getting big with it, um, we got taken by like communities like weird Twitter and Twinja. So it's like a huge group of people who are very savvy to like culture and social media. And they were, they would banter with us back and forth. So a lot of, you know, the value, I guess that we brought from that phase early on was just, you know, we care about the people we're interacting with. We know them like they're, we're very familiar. So we want to be relatable and sweet and have some level of not just the, the typical quote unquote brand language of authentic words, like authenticity, but we want to actually be authentic. We want people to feel like they're talking to a friend and not through a corporate account and kind of breaking that fourth wall has been a big thing in developing the voice. So I don't know. It's been, been all over the place as far as cocktail party voice. I'm not really sure how, but definitely, definitely aiming to be a center of attention. I won't lie about that. All right. Perfect. Yeah. And, and you kind of touched on something a little bit I wanted to talk about and, and that's, um, you know, brand banter, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you mentioned Wendy's Moon Pie comes to mind. There are these these Twitter brand accounts that all do really well of interacting, not with just other people and customers, but just other inanimate brands and products. Um, yeah. What does that look like to you? Um, so it's kind of weird because there's a lot of moving elements when it comes to brands interacting with other brands online. I mean, like one, you have the sort of, personal relationship development or maybe you know the person running the account so like obviously a lot of social media managers there's not like a you know like there's there's certain groups of people who are naturally um i guess gravitated toward other groups like say like food and beverage as a category obviously there's conversations happening around food and beverage so a lot of the brands who work within that category sort of flock to each other on certain topics of conversation. So there's like the relational aspect of it, where as far as if I see something that Moon Pie tweets, for example, and I think it's funny or it's just entertaining in some way, on one level, if I really like the content, you know, I might want to build a relationship with them. But two, if I want to take the spotlight or if I want to sort of one-up it in some way, I might try to create some type of rivalry. So it really just depends on like where you fall on that spectrum. You know, like early, early on for us, like interacting with brands, we really made it a point to go after bigger corporations. Cause again, like focusing on the whole family owned company thing, we were able to use that as sort of a, you know, just a point of our value system. Whereas like people who get so sick of brands on social media, like one of the common critiques is, Oh, like you're just a corporate shill. You know, you're a corporate, account like we and people kind of the most savvy people online tend to not like corporate accounts Mm -hmm. so like by channeling you know the fact that we actually are a smaller company it gave us a little bit of like an underdog feel for some people like like early on we um 
we had like a couple like online beefs quote unquote okay. with with uh wendy's and with um moon pie early on and because like they were and also moon pie is a family-owned company too but they were a big wig on twitter obviously so there's like that that definitely depends on like where you fall on the spectrum like some some smaller brands do really well at making their own original content and they can just play off of fun interrelationships with other brands, but sometimes it's good to be sassy or aggressive or really like whatever works within what you are and what you're trying to do, you know? What what brand accounts out there on Twitter or otherwise do you, Nathan, not Stakem, um, feel inspired by? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I mean I got to go to Wendy's as like the original, you know, I know Amy Brown, I've uh, done a podcast with her actually, and she's super sweet, super smart. You know, I look at her as kind of the, like one of the OGs in this whole system of events, you know, like she's kind of like a, the Michael Jordan of it in my mind, you know, she's really for what she did with Wendy's account originally, like creating the sort of sass and that whole brand attitude was something that didn't really exist on social media up until that point and that i think opened the door to a lot of what we're seeing now and obviously again just the other obvious one moon pie you know really the guy who um ran the moon pie account patrick wells he from the agency tombris group you know for he had his um moment of virability in august of last year which is right at the time i started running the stakem account so immediately I got jealous of that account because it, like, it, was, it, was, it wasn't like a huge account and it blew up overnight with that gigantic tweet he put out that got like over a billion impressions. So I um, definitely got inspired by them and reached out to them early on just to kind of pick their brains and like see what it's all about because in the beginning I really didn't know much about the culture of brands on social media and it really is diverse. You know, like everybody kind of brings something different to the table and everybody's also kind of trying to copy and innovate off each other to figure out like what the next thing that sticks out is. Like I know pop tarts as a brand um, is really great on Twitter. And like recently they've been pushing this, <laughs> this more edgy feel, which isn't really what you'd expect from pop tarts. Right. And it's kind of a cool thing to see because it's, it, it does exactly what you want advertising to do. Like it disrupts and it creates conversations. And so like, I, I really like any brand who's doing that, you know, it's pushing the boundaries and trying new things. Cause you know, as soon as something becomes popular, like as soon as the Wendy's clapbacks and the SAS becomes popular, then everybody's trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And then once everybody's doing it, it's not interesting anymore. So I'm like, I'm, I'm always trying to find brands that are, uh, doing that for me now like newer like pluckers is a new one um they're a wing bar and based out of texas and they've had some recent success on twitter Mm -hmm. like i know the guy who runs the account he's hilarious and he's a hustler just like he puts out a a ton of good content every day and really loves his job and that really reflects the uh work he does so they really just i I really look for people are doing something different you know right um moving over somewhere else i guess just as a um not necessarily social media uh, of content that you create, but for others, social influencers is kind of a, a big thing that brands and, and organizations like to use now. Does Stakem ever reach out to influencers of some sort to, you know, maybe for product trade to get 
you know, the voice, uh, the message out a little bit more? Yeah, I have definitely mixed feelings on the influencer movement. Um, and we, I think we all do as an agency representing the client is because it, it kind of just grays up some of the space with brands advertising. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think being on Twitter in general, for example, anytime you're putting content out there and people are reciprocating the content and, and pushing it on their own wall, on their own um, timelines and creating their own content based off your content, in a way they are influencers. You know, like you're creating organic influencers who just like what you're doing and then they're just reproducing it in a way. So I think that, form of influencing is good because it's natural and you know there's obviously if you want to get into the nitty-gritty of it there's obviously subtle levels of underlying manipulation in any advertising because you know a lot of what goes on in advertising is subconscious mm-hmm. so like it's, it's not like it's like a pure 100 percent interaction but it's at least more pure in the sense that you know the people are choosing to do that on their own volition but when it comes to paying an influencer like a famous person to you know post your product on their instagram that gets fifty thousand likes or whatever it is i I definitely have some mixed feelings on it i mean on one hand it's cool because you know it's it's a it's another job and it's a way we can share content and depending on what your product is some um, companies have to do that type of leveraging because it's a lot harder in some cases to for them to build an organic organic platform so it's it's easier to uh, create basically ambassadors to push the product so i get it but on the other hand there's just a lot of snake oil salesmen out there mm-hmm. and we've encountered a, i think every, every company does like as soon as, as soon as you start doing anything remotely successful online you have these people who reach out and they're just like i'm an influencer send me your product and i'll promote it and they might, you go to their Twitter page and they have, say, like 100,000 followers, but they're following 130,000 people mm-hmm. and they get like two likes a post. And you're just like, what is going on here? So there's just kind of like a weird gray area, I think, where it's still we're still in a time where companies have to really do their homework and know, you know, what they're getting into when they pay out for an influencer. Because I don't think by nature it's bad, but it's definitely a tricky thing. It's not really, it's not really something that we've done for Stakem at this point. We've, we've, um, it's been talked about in the past. Uh, but for one example, we had talked about uh, this one NBA player who I won't name, but we were in talks for a little while with him about potentially doing a post on his Twitter mm-hmm. and he was going to charge us $50,000 to do one post. Or I think it was one or two posts with the product in it. And they were showing us, you know, like stats and saying, like, this is what the engagement rate is and all that. And I, I looked at our um, ex- account executive and I was like, listen, man, like I I can get these impression and engagement rates in a month of being on social. And it's going to cost a whole lot less and be a whole lot more organic than you paying out 50 grand for this one post. That's just going to be a drop in the river. So it really, it just depends on what your goals are. It depends on what your product is. And, um, it definitely depends on how well educated you are in that sphere of influence. Yeah. You you touched on it a a little bit ago, but you know, essentially social media is just another form of advertising of some, some kind. Uh, and the reason behind wanting to advertise to begin with is for growth and sales. So, you know, Stakeum has been around for a while, social media, 
relatively not so long. Does social media help Stakem grow sales as your account is obviously growing? Or is it just helping it stay relevant? And maybe that's not just, I'll, I'll say generally, not just Stakem, but just generally. Are people, brands trying to stay relevant and just keep sales steady? Or do followers usually equate to more sales? That's a great question. Um, so, I mean, we know from um, like an ROI perspective that it's working with this client in particular. But again, obviously, it really does depend on who you are and what your goals are. Because with Steak in particular, as a legacy brand, you know, obviously, it reached its heyday in like, say, the 80s, I want to say, as far as its popularity and common usage. And like, as certain food trends go on and excuse me different um generations uh, want different things it's certain companies like that like companies i grew up with like say say a company like gushers hmm. or sunny day you know both of those are i've noticed um both of those companies have become really active on twitter the past few months and i enjoy going back and forth with them but i and i don't know just off the top of my head what their you know their data is as far as sales but if I had to guess, I'd say they're probably in a decline from the past 10, 15 years. Cause it's just not, it's an, it's an older brand, you know, like kids being brought up now are being advertised whole new brands. And so, and you know, a lot of these older ones as they become legacy brands definitely lose relevance and they aren't going to do anything to keep their head above the water. So it definitely depends. Like I think some brands are using social media as that. It's kind of like a crutch to be like, just to stay in people's faces. Like, Hey, we're here. We're here, just you know, constantly nagging the uh, the general public. Like, look at me, look at me, I'm still around, and that that might work for some brands. But I think ultimately, as time goes on, obviously certain companies go away, certain entire food industries go away. So I don't know if you can really you know change that ultimately. But social media, as it blurs the lines of advertising, and we get into this whole new um, timeline of just brands becoming personas and breaking down that fourth wall between consumers and producers. Like there's definitely a lot of space and uh, weirdness for certain brands to maintain the relevancy and try to make a comeback. So I, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up some, some recent um, news going on with Stakeum. And that is the, I'm going to say bizarre, but really cool. Um, <laughs> existential rant that happened on Twitter, uh, I guess just last week or something, right? Can, what, mm -hmm. can you kind of talk about that a little bit and maybe just what inspired that? Yeah, sure. Um, so the rant, I believe it was the 26th that happened. It was, it was last Wednesday. And so. actually, hey, but before you get before you get into it, I'm just going to quote the first tweet real fast uh, for people yeah, yeah, that sure aren't familiar. Uh, Stake, um, um, why are so many young people flocking to brands on social media for love, guidance, and attention? I'll tell you why. They're isolated from real communities, working service jobs they hate while barely making ends meet, and are living with unchecked personal slash mental health problems. And then you go on for a few more tweets, and, and you get really real with Twitter. Uh, and it, it was it was fantastic to read in real time, but that's the tweet. I just wanted to know a little bit more behind it. Yeah, it's, it's interesting because I... <laughs> Again, I'm, I'm right now I'm working on a case study with our agency about this whole viral thread and what makes a viral moment happen. And it's interesting because there's not really a science to going viral, except 
you have to just create something that obviously resonates with a ton of people. So like with this, I had been doing similar tweets uh, for the past year. Like you can go back oh, yeah. all the way back until November, December of 2017. And you see very similar notes that I'm hitting with the account. Um, but I think with this moment, it was definitely a combination of obviously timing, you know, obviously like the time, not just timing for the brand, but the timing culturally, like there's that whole portion to it, but then there's also like the portion of threads in general on Twitter. Like for people who don't know, that's just when you write a tweet with the 280 character limit and then you respond to that tweet again and just keep going down like a chain of tweets. When you, when you do that, like there's, there's not a lot of brands who make Twitter threads. So that alone, I think like that ranting style is something you don't really see brands do. And I think just the, obviously, like, the shock factor, like, the, the weirdness of, like, why is this coming from a brand, especially a frozen meat brand, there's, like, that, like, weird factor to it. And then, obviously, there's the factor that it just it hit enough people the right way at the right time. So, I mean, I made a similar rant to it. It's funny, I haven't uh, mentioned this before, but I, I did a pretty similar rant, I think, in January and touched a lot of the same notes, like, from an observational standpoint, you know, what I wrote in that Twitter thread was, it's just stuff that's on my mind. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's stuff that I think about and I talk about with my friends and yeah, it's, it's really, and obviously because it resonated with so many people more than just myself or, or there's tons of people thinking and talking about it. So it definitely wasn't in my mind, at least like something that was super profound. I think it was just something that was surface level and, kind of generalizing enough to connect with a lot of people mm -hmm. and that's just that's kind of what happened like i wasn't really like when i hit send on that tweet like you get a feeling as a social media manager when you're putting out content every day you get a feeling of certain things you you write that might connect a little bit more and i did get that feeling with this but it wasn't like i tweeted it and thought oh wow like i'm gonna go viral like i'd been tweeting very similar things to that the past year so when I tweeted it, I just thought, oh, cool. You know, like I, I worked for about an hour just kind of refining those thoughts into that thread and just little by little, like, pieced it in there. And as it was blowing up, it was really cool and surprising that so many people connected the way they did. And obviously, it opened up broader conversations on advertising and the kind of weirdness that we're in right now with brands on social media. I know the answer to this already, but did you happen to see a, uh, a Mashable article get tweeted out about that? <laughs> yeah, I just read it. I was, uh, I was, it was what it was. Uh, I'll, I'll let you comment your thoughts on it. What do you think? Right. So uh, Mashable, uh, I guess it was yesterday, maybe. Um, yeah. They just posted an article that said something along the lines of Stakeum is using, uh, this was the title of the article, Stakeum is using anti-consumerism to get you to buy snooze what was your response to that as the account <laughs> first of all just how, how, how snarky was that i mean it, they're, they're just doing their job i guess i mean i i don't really i have so many mixed feelings on it. it's hard to make like a really like a soundbite response but my, my general response to it i i think i tweeted out mashable is criticizing a viral brand for clicks and i said snooze mm -hmm. um my initial response obviously is snark to something like that because of what they're doing sure. like they're creating clickbait for clicks but they're doing it 
under the guise of productive social criticism. So it's kind of playing this whole like moral high ground. It's like we're doing this good thing by calling out this brand for advertising. Meanwhile, that's literally what the article's purpose is. Like right. the, the, the entire, you know, industry and the whole, the person who wrote that article and the company that props them up, like it's dependent on clicks. So it's kind of like a weird thing because part of me reads it and I'm one who I'm, I'm the type of person who loves self-criticism. Mm-hmm. So I read that and I take it to heart and I say, you know what? They're right. They're right in the sense that, you know, what we're all partaking in right now on social media is a very strange thing. And by using this sort of anti-marketing marketing approach, you know, it does blur some lines and it can be definitely seen as manipulative mm-hmm. to people. So like I, I, I take a lot of that to heart. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, we, we talk about this a lot at our agency. You know, at the end of the day, we're all, no matter what we are, like whether we're a company, whether we're an influencer or an artist or whoever, or, or just a blogger or a YouTuber, we're all working within the system that we've been handed. And like this system is a consumer-based system that's under a capitalist you know, hierarchy and like in order to function in the society like you have to produce goods like it's just like it is what it is and like you can't really escape that and i think the best there was an article um a couple of days prior to that mashable one that was on dig which i didn't even know dig was still a I, thing so it was, yeah, i thought reddit took its place okay <laughs> it was cool to read it because it was a very similarly um sentimented article like it was kind of criticizing the brand and going through it but the the, whoever wrote that article acknowledged at the end of it that they were literally doing the same thing Hmm. i really appreciated that because it's like you know as whether we're like i said whether we're artists or social media managers or writers whoever like we're all producing content we're all trying to create an audience and we're all trying to get some kind of return on our investment like i've been doing this my whole life like prior to social media management like i was really pushing a songwriting career and like obviously you know that's an art form and that offers some kind of cultural good but at the end of the day like if i put money into creating cds or whatever i was doing like i have to sell them like i have to make some money back so whenever i read these types of articles it's it's interesting and i want to take the criticisms to heart and i don't want to ever be someone who hears a criticism and just dismisses it because this is my work like i'm proud of my work i don't I'm not, I'm not like that. So I definitely get the sentiment. I just wish more people were owning the sort of mutual hypocrisy that we're all living in if we're going to play that game. Totally. Nathan, uh, one last question before I let you go. Um, what's the best way to enjoy a steakum? <laughs> good. Good question to end it. Uh, I mean, the classic way is cheesesteak, obviously. That's, that's what I think most people buy it for you know you get like a nice sub roll like an artisan type roll at the supermarket and you could toast it or not toast it but you sizzle up steak on the frying pan with whatever your favorite type of cheese is and whether you like peppers and onions or whatever other toppings you enjoy some people throw mushrooms on it or um, ketchup or mayo whatever kind of condiments and then you got yourself a sort of mock-up Philly cheesesteak and that's I mean obviously we're living in again the age of health and wellness and all that so you got a lot of keto people who make steak and salads and all that type of good stuff too but 
Nothing beats a cheese stick. Well, you know what? I'm sold. I might have to uh, make some this weekend, I think. That's what's going to happen. Oh, no. The, the advertising's working. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Nathan, thank you so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, sure, man. Take care. Thanks so much. Yeah, so I mean, so first off, Courtney, um, my main takeaways. Nathan has some pretty awesome uh, views on social media marketing and and what it means to have a brand voice, but also use it in appropriate, holistic, humanistic uh, ways. You know, I mean, at what point does a brand uh, representative or, or, you know, the voice of the brand start representing the, the, the values of the CEO of a company or the founder of a company or, or, or whatever. I mean, it's, it's really interesting to think about the power that that social media manager holds, even though they might not necessarily be that high up on the totem pole, but at the same time, they, they have the room, they have the microphone. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think it's, it's important for companies to trust that social media, uh, marketer to do the appropriate thing and to say the appropriate things for that brand. Uh, secondly, I just I just have to say that uh, up until Twitter, uh, I had never heard of Stakeum. Um, I mean, it's been over a year, I guess, but I first noticed that brand interacting with a uh, Twitter's weird. Um, that brand was interacting with a mattress company called Casper, and uh, just I thought the interaction between these random brand identities was just so funny that I mean, yeah, I I, I gave it a follow, and and I've been entertained every day since. But you know, what, what What are your main takeaways from that interview? First, let me say that I love Steakums. And when I think back to my childhood, I would say Steakums is like among the top three foods I think about. Uh, I thought it was really great that people, it's finding a second life with this whole keto movement and Atkins low carb. And I, I didn't even think about putting it on a salad. So I'm definitely going to have to try that out. Um, the other thing that I enjoyed listening to him talk about was this idea of the recent tweet that went viral and, and the fact that he had posted something similar a few months ago, but it just didn't take off in that way. Um, in the PR world, you know, it's, it was, it's always a joke that people say, can you get me on Oprah? Um, probably not as much anymore now that our show is done, but um, I, I think in the digital world, the joke is, can you make this video go viral or can you make this post go viral? And it really is part art, part science. It's uh, part luck. It is, it's timing and it's, you know, who reshares it. And I think for me, the message is, you know, keep showing up as marketers. We have to keep pushing out content and some things will stick and some things won't. And the great thing about socials, it's a pretty, you know, low bar in terms of the investment in your content. You're, it's not like, you know, you're creating a, an advertising campaign that was a million dollars that bombs. I mean, this is, this is a tweet, right? And so when it does work, it's great. Um, but, you know, keep showing up and keep putting out that content because something will stick. And, uh, you know, we see that even on our clients in terms of sometimes we'll have a beautiful photo and it does okay. And then sometimes we'll find a, a fan photo and it, it gets a tons of ton of engagement. And there's really, you know, no reasoning behind what people connect with. Um, but, you know, when you find it, <laughs> it's great. All right, Courtney. Appreciate it. Until next time, 
And everybody else, thank you for listening. Go ahead and please subscribe, rate, and listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Anchor.fm, wherever it is you listen to podcasts. We're probably there by now. Uh, Otherwise, read more of our stuff at www.goforthbesocial.com.